Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 137. I don't know how to explain to her that it's not like I went from believing in God to like not believing in God. Like, I think what really happened was that God took on so much, like the definition expanded to the point of no limits. Lucy Dacus is an acclaimed singer, songwriter, and author from Richmond, Virginia. She's released three studio albums, including 2021's highly lauded Home Video, which earned rave reviews from global outlets such as Variety, The Guardian, NPR, Rolling Stone, and many more. In 2018, Lucy created the collaborative supergroup Boy Genius with her close friends Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers. Their debut EP was one of the most talked-about releases of 2018, landing on nearly every notable Best Music of the Year list. She's also performed on virtually every late-night show, and she's on Queerology today. I am so excited to have Lucy on the show. This happened because of (laughs) y'all. I got so many requests to hear Lucy on the show that I was like, I need to figure out who Lucy Dacus is. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed to say that but i'm so glad you all did because y'all already knew this she's amazing no announcements today so let's just go ahead and dive in lucy hi welcome hey how's it going i'm doing well how are you i'm good i'm like weirdly a little nervous (laughs) i am too i'm right there with you so Mm -hmm. (laughs) well we'll just start this is the question i ask everyone Uh, What are your identities and how has faith helped form those identities? The first question is hard. I would say that I don't identify with any faith at this time. I'm queer. I'm either bisexual or pansexual or something. I don't know. And she, her works, but I don't think that's like the full story, probably just a part of the story. I I know just from kind of listening to your music, reading a lot of the interviews that you've done, that you grew up in a world of faith. And I know you explore a lot of those themes. I'd be curious to hear a little bit of that story. (laughs) Like, what kind of world did you grow up in? I grew up in a Baptist church that actually, like, in middle or high school, they decided to go non-denominational. So maybe that is a little indicative of how the church was like a very thinking church. I actually lived in the house next door to the church. So we would just walk over as a kid. And the church I grew up in, I actually have pretty fond feelings about. Uh, the pastor was kind of a nerd and like a scholar. And so a lot of the sermons were about like linguistics and a history lesson and really like applicable knowledge. And I learned so much that I still keep in mind. And then I went to so many friends' churches that were a lot more like emotional power plays and people were like crying and lifting their hands. And I was into that too, but it was like my, my whole life for 
like through high school. Like I would go to church multiple times a week and I went to church camps all the time. (laughs) And uh, really even into college, like I still called myself a Christian. And by that time I like wanted to change Christianity from the inside. But yeah, the church I grew up in, I mean, I miss aspects of showing up with a group of people weekly or more than that. And just knowing from proximity, like what's going on with people and knowing that there are people that know what's going on with me, you know, people that just remember the important things about your life. And my church also had a huge emphasis on like doing work for people and like volunteering. And so through my youth, like I was constantly like painting fences and doing childcare and helping people build houses and giving food away and like all of that was also awesome. But I'm noticing my tendency to just like front load all the positivity. <laughs> like I'm I'm pretty much only telling you the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was going to say like, it, it does sound very positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I want to feel positive towards all of it and I can't. So I, but I really appreciate all of the parts that I can feel positively towards. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's almost, I mean, tell me if this feels true to you, there, there's almost a nostalgia there of like for the community, the goodness. I mean, I'm hearing you say like we we helped people. Yeah. And I, I feel that as I'm hearing you talk. Like, yeah, there was something good. There was. And even just being introduced to huge concepts from an early age, like being talked to about death, being talked to about forgiveness and uh, patience, like I still hold on to those things. The way they answered the questions that they started was wrong, but I do appreciate just like being asked to think really deeply from a young age, uh, which again, in a lot of my friends' churches, like the the whole point was to answer those questions so that you wouldn't think deeply. But yeah, I, I think... I think I realized like, oh, if I only like going to the church that I was raised in, maybe I don't like church. I just like, you know, this place that feels like home. Did you know you were queer then or have some of those rumblings? Yeah, it's hard to know because I think I did, but I just put it aside so fast. I also grew up around a lot of gay people. My mom is a pianist and plays piano for musicals in Richmond, Virginia. And a lot of her friends, even from her youth, are gay people. And so I had contact with like young gay couples, older gay couples, people who were just dating, people who had children and were in committed relationships. And it was kind of like a, like, yeah, we love all of these people. You know, it's a sin, kind of like the hate the sin, not the sinner. Like, I don't know if my mom ever said that to me, but that was sort of like the lesson. So It wasn't super vilified in my house. I have since encountered uh, homophobia within the family or just like not really uh, listening to me, which feels weird. I actually, I had a conversation with my mom after my record came out and she was not happy with some of the themes of the record or how I was doing interviews. So that's part of why I'm nervous. And she told me like, you can't say that you're upset that I raised you in church. Like, of course I would raise you in church. Like I believe in God. I'm not gonna like go to church without you. I'm like, I don't really think that's what 
I wish you did, you know, like I am glad to have been a part of something that was important to you. And it still all feels really sensitive, but I don't know how to explain to her that it's not like I went from believing in God to like not believing in God. Like I think what really happened was that God took on so much, like the definition expanded to the point of no limits and like the faith grew to the point where it didn't really have, I didn't have anything to say about it. And like, Sometimes it feels like saying I don't believe in God is like just the quickest way to explain that I do. Yeah, you know what I mean? wow. <laughs> I, mean, I really like the way you just said that. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Oh. Hey, like, like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as you're talking, the sensitivity, that that place of almost almost not being able to critique out of fondness and care. Like does does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I hear the care that, that you're putting into your language, mm-hmm. and I think the desire to actually talk about your experience, and and both of those things almost seem, in some ways, in, in conflict with each other. D- does that feel fair? <laughs> yeah, that feels yeah. fair. I'm getting like free therapy right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that feels fair. I I think part of why I was. Uh, nervous about doing this is because I feel like I'm in the middle still. Like I don't feel like I've come out the other end of an experience experience and I can just like sum it up or talk about it. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be rid of this feeling like I'm in the middle of figuring something out. And it would feel maybe like better if I could just like report. And like, in some ways I can, and like in songs, I try to tell stories that, you know, capture feelings and lessons from a certain time and that's really helpful for me to like put a pin in something and be like that moment happened and it's not happening now but yeah i i do really care and i i care about my family still and all the people that raised me like you know i have so many people that contributed to who i am that still go to church and also there's sort of this like respect for southern culture that is conflated with the church it's like I I don't want to like reject uh all the typical things to reject. You know, like I don't want to fully reject my entire past. Like if anything I want to embrace as much of it as I can. But yeah, I'm not going to say that there weren't hurtful things or just like terrible lessons that I learned and have to continue to unlearn. And even like opinions I had that I regret having just cuz I in- inherited them, you know. I feel like that's a journey that so many of us who grew up in deeply rooted faith contexts have had to navigate that place of what do we do with these things that were hurtful, both to ourselves, but also to realize they're hurtful to other people. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you'd be able to maybe talk a little bit more about how you've started to navigate or kind of work with those parts of yourself that that do regret. Yeah. I actually, I've been talking to a super close friend of mine. We were roommates in college and first year of college, like, uh, she was like starting to have sex and like, I was, uh, still trying to like wait until marriage and we were talking about abortion and I'm adopted. My mom is adopted. And so my mom raised me like really pro-life pretty much. And, you know, she even had this goal for us to like, 
sit in the lobbies of Planned Parenthoods with signs being like, ask us about adoption. We never did that. But like, you know, it was the Obama-McCain election happening when I was in eighth grade. And so like, I was like, too young, but like, I was like a single issue voter. Like in school, we do mock elections. And I was like, well, really, I don't care. Like as long as uh, McCain is pro-life. And that's just something I inherited it. And that's like how I was taught to be thankful for the sacrifice that my birth mother made, like of her time. At this point, I'll just like skip to the how I am now. Like I'm pro-choice and I uh, would get an abortion if I needed to. And I uh, support a lot of my friends who get abortions and I uh, raise money for abortion activist groups like on tour and that all feels really great. But like I had this conversation with my friend where I told her that it would put a rift in our friendship if she got an abortion. And I regret that so much. And, you know, even like this was two weeks ago where I brought, I apologized again. I've apologized like every couple years since it happened. But again, I was just struck anew with like, that was so hurtful and it's not true. Like reminding her that's not true anymore at all. And She's like, I'm over this. (laughs) Like that happened so long ago. But yeah, just like to remember a shape that your mouth made that it would never make again. And just like I embodied that thought at one point. And it's it's like shameful to admit at this point. Yeah, that 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 wash of shame, even as you're talking about it, feels so familiar to me like I, I, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of memories of, of my own of, of those things that I have said or done that are just seem appalling at this point and to then have to start to navigate not only how was I able to say that but like the systems I, I imagine this is the case for you but you can tell me if that's true like the systems that actually put us into a position to say those things. I mean, what has it been like for you? I'm hearing like you, you have done, it sounds like a lot of thinking to expand, maybe work with different definitions of what it means to be a human in this world of mystery. What has that process looked like? Yeah, I think in high school, I was a huge nerd and just started reading tons of other texts. Like I got really into Krishnamurti, who I still think rocks. And I started reading the Tibetan book of living and dying. And like, that was after I stopped going to church, but I'm still reading that book. Like I read like a paragraph and I think about it for a week and then I'll read the next paragraph. And I just got different perspectives. And at first it didn't feel like they were in conflict with Christianity. And I guess it never really evolved into conflict for me, but I realized like, oh no, the thing's bigger than a ism. (laughs) Like I, the whole, the whole quest everybody's on is more general. And I just felt like I lacked humility to think that I knew any type of answer. And I was like, if God exists, like I'm never gonna know about that. (laughs) Or like, uh, I definitely don't, there's no way to find out right now. I still feel that way. It's like, why why think that you know that? How could you possibly know that? But I still believe in faith. And even like at this point in my life, like I uh I have faith in like magic sometimes, like or things happen where I, I see something or experience something that I can't 
say didn't happen. And I just have to be like, that was real, you know, like having like a vision or something. I don't know. You can hear me like trying to laugh at myself, like, but you know, like I think it's makes a lot of sense to not believe in any of that until it happens to you. And then you can't just tell yourself that what happened didn't happen, but even like uh, more tangible than visions. I like do tarot. And that has been a super like beautiful thing to enter my life reading for myself and for friends. Like I feel like I get to a depth of understanding that I don't in just regular conversation or it's just like a way to do therapy and give yourself a mirror and just like use symbols to figure out what's in your head. Yeah. I pick a card every day. I picked a card today and yeah, it's really, it's added so much to my like spiritual landscape, I guess. This is one of my favorite things about talking about this with <laughs> queer folks is the way that I feel like we, a lot of us anyway, still kind of hold on to spiritual practices, even if we don't call them that, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and find meaning in ways that does feel more expansive. And I mean, I, I've heard a lot of queer people say something about like queerness is almost its own form of spirituality, just in the yeah. way that it, it breaks boundaries <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and kind of transcends definition. I'd be curious if you have experienced that for yourself and kind of stepping into your queerness. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, it has magic to it too. And like, I think like engaging with queerness and trying to engage with God, like it's some of the same questions, like how can I be embodied? How do I live in this world? How do I treat people? How do I access the most joy possible? Where is love and what can I learn from it? Like all of those feel like religious or spiritual questions and they're all queer questions to me. And yeah, like I still have a lot of embodying to do, (laughs) I think. Like I think that unfortunately a lot of my queer experiences are still like have elements of shame because they're secret. And part of that is because I have, I'm a public figure and like I just feel really precious about my privacy and the people in my life that like I love, like I don't want them to be burnt up in a spotlight, you know? And that is a real uh, risk. And that's just, that's even just like protection as a friend. So yeah, I, I wonder how I, I'm like, I've been thinking about this so much, even this week, how to grapple with uh, having this visibility and like fully fearlessly uh, embodying publicly like my queerness because I, I people started to know who I was when I was like 19 and so 19 is like the year I started to stop calling myself a Christian as well and so I have had no like in between time I've gone from like feeling watched by God to feeling watched by everybody else and so there's like this pressure. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have like the best answers yet. But they're like, they're honest. <laughs> and and <laughs> that, that sense of pressure that you're talking about, I mean, going from pressure from God, being watched by God to being watched by other people and the ways and these questions still linger and feel like they can't 
maybe be worked with it maybe as freely as you would like. I, I mean, I don't want to like universalize your experience. You by, can. By that, I like that. <laughs> it feels better to me when okay. that can be true. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like that sense of pressure of like, how do we even work these things out when we have people watching us, like in some ways depending on us and, and realizing it's, it's different for every person. But I mean, I, I think of myself, like my parents, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though they know next to nothing about the way I live my life, there's the, their eyes are still watching me, at least in my head. Right. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so much harder to yeah. play with these things or feel a sense of kind of freedom or expansiveness in exploration. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Parents, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it just like that? (laughs) Like we're adults. Yeah. But still, you know. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's wild. You you said something a few minutes ago that really struck me. You you were talking about the ways you were, you were raised in church And, and you said the way they answered the questions they started was wrong. I wonder if you could say more about that. Yeah. I guess like I'm still asking the questions that they started like about what happens after you die. And like the answer isn't actually going to probably be here's the answer, but like the question uh, is a fertile ground for figuring out a lot of other things or like finding peace or yeah. Like how do I treat people? It would be awesome to have like a code of ethics. And I think like the Bible offers many rules for how to treat people. Some of which I think are good. Others I think are at least interpreted as very hateful and unloving. Oh, can you hear my, my roommates laughing in the background? (laughs) Just very barely. That's really sweet. Um, (laughs) yeah. They're on the back porch laughing, distant laughter. Ugh, nothing better. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I constantly am wondering how to treat people and try to treat people right. And in church, that was always at the forefront of my mind and of everyone's mind. I thought like, how can we treat each other the best? How can we love each other the most? Uh, what is showing up and if we don't agree how do we resolve that how do we meet each other's needs and live in reciprocity like those are great questions and I think that to answer them is negligent of change like change touches everything and so the answer can't stay the same and calcify and just getting better at recognizing the changes admitting when you have new needs or even desires. Like, I think that one thing that the church really, really did me wrong was like telling me to be completely out of touch with my desires. And it has taken a really long time to realize that I have a body and that I want things. And I think that's one of the really hard things about being queer and growing up in church is like, just in general, the body is put to the side, at least in my the way I was raised. Like it's a somewhat disassociative state to be being a vessel for God. Like you're not in control of your body. You you're trying to follow the will of some greater power. Yeah, I'm trailing off there. <laughs> 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm thinking about your music. And your music has a certain emotional quality to it that it feels really deep. Mm. And and I'm curious, like, do you feel like your music has almost been a, a container for that embodiment in some ways as you have tried it on for yourself? Yeah. I I think about my songs as containers a lot because they have a duration and I have to decide what goes into it and what stays out. And there's sort of like a curation process and that can be good and bad because I tell the story which is hard enough to do but then I've left out so much nuance you know I have to leave out everyone else's perspective and I have to leave out what happened before and after but that's okay like if that was my goal it wouldn't be a song it would be something else and I don't know how to make that something else Maybe it's a book, but even then a book starts and ends as well. So questions like that would keep me from creating anything. And so I think it's been helpful to find spaces to express one aspect or maybe a couple aspects of one thing. And that alone gives me so much to hold on to when it comes to like these murky memories. Yeah, I feel like I'm being vague, <laughs> but maybe I'm not. <laughs> There, there is a sense, again, tell me if this feels true. This is just from my experience listening to your music. Like, there is a sense of truth-telling mm-hmm. in your songs. I wonder what happens in, in that creation of a song or telling a story in a song that, that maybe allows you to step into those things or, or does it maybe open a door for you to step into some of those harder places? Yeah. I mean, it it's making art and using archetypes. And so, like... When I start to write a song and the people become characters, I can see them from like a critical perspective or like just as a viewer instead of being within it. Like it gives me distance and I can like see the narrative quality of what has happened to me. And it's so much easier to understand, maybe just because like I engage with other narratives. Like I read a lot and like I used to watch a ton of movies and like of course I listen to other music. And so when I start to express something true about someone in my life and it reminds me of something else, I'm like, oh, I'm not alone. Or like this wasn't a unique experience, which actually is good. Like earlier you were like, I don't want to universalize your experience, but like that's kind of the point to me. And like that is why I share music is just for the chance that anyone else could have that same feeling and be like, oh, no, those are the words that I've been looking for about this thing that applies to me. And that's been like invaluable to me. I, I was I was reading through YouTube comments on your VBS music video. Nice. <laughs> and and the, the number of people in there who seemed so grateful for the language that you put around 
that story of being in vacation Bible school and that, that line in there, you said that I showed you the light, but all it did in the end was make the dark feel darker than before. Like that line particularly feels like it stuck out to so many people Mm. that contrast between what we're being told is light and then the the deep darkness that still is present. Like it, it feels like you put language around that experience that so many of us have had in various church contexts. Do you get that a lot? I mean, do, do you hear people talking to you about those things? Yeah. I mean, it's really nice to hear you say. <laughs> and it's true. Like when the church, like some of these answers I'm talking about saying like, this is the right way to do things. This is the righteous path. Every other path becomes a no-go zone. And so like so much of the world is X'd out as not an option and it makes the world feel so small and like just kind of cuts off the potential of things. And I mean, when I was in like middle and some of high school, I would like maybe even start to feel like I was falling in love with somebody and then they'd have attributes that were not approved, (laughs) like pre-approved. And so I would just kind of turn off the, what would have been like a really beautiful faucet of emotions. (laughs) I just like, you know, switch the, the, uh, handle. Wait, what am I? The I would I just like you know turn it off. Yeah, right. Um, I don't need to say this metaphor perfectly. Um, yeah. So, and I I have been historically afraid of a lot of things, and like I think that my my mom in particular, who I love very much, uh, she loved me very much, and so inspired a lot of fear in me to try and keep me alive, you know, like even not church related, like I would get home from school and she's like, okay, be sure to like zigzag on your way home in case there's a sniper or like, make sure you take different routes home from the bus if there's a stalker. And like, even to this day, she'll send me news stories of people bringing guns to concerts and being like, make sure that you have a high security detail so that (laughs) nobody does this. And it's like, it's not, I can't have a high security detail at every show and I, I don't have control over everything. Like, and I, I try not to be fearful, but there's so many things to be fearful about and I'm a creative person, so I can create all sorts of terrible things. And I think that's related, you know, just like, uh, I think the comfort that some people get with like knowing the correct way to live is highly associated to a discomfort with everything else yes oh my gosh like that is that is so true where (laughs) where (laughs) true 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 just even like knowing like the way our nervous systems work like like we get settled into a place and when that place feels safe that place is the place that always feels safe and anything outside of it feels dangerous and Mm -hmm. like to 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 work with those things that when we have been told no the world is so dangerous that you're going to like spend the rest of eternity suffering if you go outside these little lines to then step out into that world and say, well, I don't believe in those lines anymore. I don't believe in eternal suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet, why am I still so scared? That's hard. Yeah. It's like built into your body. Mm-hmm. I I like 
recently was uh, approaching a crush <laughs> and um, feeling sick, like uh, just sick to my stomach. And like, I didn't want to feel that way, but it, I think it's just built in occasionally. Like I have a flare up of Christianity. <laughs> like, it's just like, uh, <laughs> and related, like not related to queerness, but occasionally when I'm really scared, I'll, just start praying and that will freak me out. Like I'll be like, please God protect, like I'll pray for protection or something. And that, that adds to the, the freakiness of whatever moment is happening. And it's like compulsive. Like I, it's just, uh, it almost feels like genetic. Yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what a weird world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you you are on tour right now, right? You're in the I midst of a tour. Home. You just yeah. got home. I mean, yeah. and I'm only home for two weeks and then okay. so I'm always in the middle of a tour. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to hear about like life now for you. That is such a broad question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're like out in the world. There's a lot of energy around the work that you're doing in the world and your artistry. Just even the reason you're on Queerology right now is because so many listeners have reached out to me being like, we need Lucy on the show. And like, how how is that for you? It feels like you're kind of stepping into a broader, bigger things. Yeah, that feels true. And at the same time, I feel the same. I think I notice that I've changed when I feel as if everyone else has changed, like not just one friend, but, and that's good and bad. I think that actually like having notoriety is, uh, unexpectedly related to the disassociation I felt in church sometimes, like, or even just having expectations of me that are different from what I know to be true. And, uh, just kind of opting into the external idea of who I am occasionally because it's easier or safer. And so, yeah, like mostly I just, I do really enjoy my life and I love playing music for people. It's really a cool freaking job. And I I feel really lucky that people are mostly nice to me. (laughs) Like, uh, I, I don't really have, if I have haters, they're not very loud and I would Mm. encourage them to keep quiet. (laughs) 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 Um, But like, uh, like my, my shows feel very special and there, I kind of scratches that itch of like congregating and like, that's something cool about church is like everybody being in the same place, looking towards the same thing, thinking about the same thing shows definitely have like a worship element and I don't want to be worshiped like God, but I, it's almost like the thing that is bigger than all of us, including me is like is a sort of higher power, you know, whatever people are connecting to. And like, I was just talking to my friend who also does shows and she was like, sometimes I feel like I'm touching the divine and other times I feel like a husk that people are filling with whatever they want. And that's like that dichotomy of like the most authentic at the core of human experience or even not just human, just like, being touching the lifeline and like feeling like a plastic commodity 
that's just like uh it's always happening at the same time for me it feels like such a bind like a confusing thing to have to work with it is <laughs> but like i said like i i've i think even gotten better at just like recognizing joy being thankful for it knowing where to seek it out uh having authentic relationships around me to keep me grounded i actually like this is good and bad like i i've been talking to fans less like in person mostly because of covid but i think not having to engage with people thinking that i'm hot shit <laughs> is nice like i you know i'll do the show and it's awesome and my band and we do a group hug and like i have the sweet i have the sweetest band in the world and yeah we live on the bus and it just feels like family and i don't feel hierarchically <laughs> that's a word uh you know more important than anybody else that is on the road and yeah i don't i don't need to be jesus <laughs> i don't need to be god <laughs> yeah it, it, you bring up such an interesting point there of, of what like a a concert experience a show experience is like and I mean, at least some of the churches I grew up in, like it is, it is almost indistinguishable other than like the purpose of the fact that we're there Mm -hmm. (laughs) from like the lights go down and like, we're all kind of collected together. There is something so spiritual in those rooms. I'm talking about concerts, not church that, that does fill some of those places up that, that yearning for collective experience and community, even if we don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Like you have something huge in common just because you're in the same place doing the same thing. Right. So like strangers are not entirely strangers at a concert. Yeah. It was such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. I, I missed it over, over COVID. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, what has it been like to f- be able to finally get back out on the road? It's been very cool. And also like this last record home video, the one with VBS and, couple more like overt songs about church like I think people have connected to it in a way that I didn't even expect like I was worried like the more specific I got about myself the more alienating it would be for listeners but I think the opposite happened like people appreciate honesty so yeah the shows have been like the most special of any shows I've ever done and that's partially because of the music and partially, I think, because people are just like rearing to go. People have felt alone and like want to be loud and move around and uh, yeah, kind of like feral energy sometimes. Yeah, it makes sense. How can, if people want to engage with your work, what is your favorite way for people to do that? Hmm. I mean, all my favorite music was shown to me by a friend, like not recommended. And I listened to it later. Like someone sat me down either in their car or at their house. We were at a party and they were like, you haven't heard this yet. And then I listen because they care. And so I guess like if anybody like likes my music, having a moment with a friend, like showing it to somebody and like sharing it would maybe be the sweetest way, but I'm not picky. I mean, I also think it's really cool. Like I know there are people malign like streaming, but I think it's awesome that you can just have access to anything, put it in your ears alone and have like a personal experience 
somebody's talking like straight into your eardrums. I think that can be very like therapeutic. Lucy, this has been lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for wanting to talk. You can listen to Lucy's music wherever you listen to music. And she's on tour all over the world this summer and fall. You can find all the details for that over at lucydacus.com. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. And until next time, y'all, bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.